Hello and welcome back to the Age of Empires Definitive Podcast. I'm your host, Robert, and I'm joined this week with uh, Jack. How's it going, Jack? Hello, Robert. Lots to talk about this week, and I'm very keen to get stuck in. Exactly, exactly. We're going to try to do weekly shows. I'm not going to make any promises. Uh, I'm going to avoid making promises that we'll have weekly shows, but uh, for now, we'll try it. We'll see how it goes. There's a lot going on, uh, so I'm sure that is exciting. Um, Maybe first thing is first. Uh, we have two major kind of topics we want to focus in today. We're going to get right into it. The first one is Red Bull Wololo Cup th- number three. Did you uh, perhaps get a chance to catch some of this? Oh, yeah. I'll yeah. all the finals. Obviously, we talked about kind of the qualifiers um, in the last podcast, you know, who made it through um, to the group stages. And then obviously we got to see it all play out. Um, it was a kind of a couple of weeks ago now. Um, but there's a huge amount to talk about. Um, I think in particular, there were some real upsets in my view. And I think... Let's start with that. Start with that. What, what are the big upsets you feel you uh, we had in this uh, Red Bull Cup? So I'll start with the group stages. Um, there were a couple. I think the, one of the big ones for me was Tato going out. Mm. Probably the, he is the best Spanish player. Uh, he went out to a Vietnamese player called ACCM. Um, so that was a big surprise. ACCM went on to do very well, only getting knocked out later by doubt. So in my mind, and to me personally, uh, <laughs> that was like definitely an upset not to see him make it through. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. T- Tato, I've uh, in all the terms that I've watched in the last, I don't know, four months or so, five months maybe. Um, Tato's always a name that I see uh, brought up and as doing well. Top four usually in a lot of these tournaments. So, yeah, that's a big one. There's a couple of players that I was not as too familiar with. Um, I believe another player like Leary is is, is that one of the youngest kind of quote unquote pro players that we have in our scene currently? I, I call Leary. Leary is the wonder boy. Uh, yeah. He won it. He won Red Bull Wallolo two. Kind of coming into this as a favorite, really. Um, for me, one of the big shockers was Velez. So Velez made it through. He beat his uh, countryman, the Max, in group <laughs> Group A stage, and then went on to beat the Viper. Now, obviously, the Viper. If anyone knows Age of Empires, they know who the Viper is. Um, so for Velez to take out the Viper in a close match, you know, they both played very well. That was very, um, very impressive. Yeah, it's kind of tough to to say that a three-two loss is like an indication of how the Viper did in the tournament, right? Because he went through the group stage pretty effortlessly, and uh, Vales was able to take it. I'm sure a lot of other players were really excited, though, to have the Viper out in the quarterfinals. Oh, sure. It's a big shock. <laughs> and I think a lot more people will know the name Vales now going forward. Uh, I enjoyed the most probably his interview afterwards uh, when he was kind of talking to T90. He is a classic Finn. Um, it's, <laughs> I don't know if you know them in like, different sports. Um but obviously, he had uh, Kimi Raikkonen in Formula One, like the Iceman, kind of no emotion when he's being interviewed mm. to the facts. Um, but it was really interesting to hear that the day before he played this match against the Viper, uh, he actually broke his mouse, got a new mouse, and as a different, <laughs> and then played 20 games with the Max, the guy he knocked out, who are both kind of countrymen. They trained together uh, to prepare. And that obviously, uh, yeah, if you, if you want to win against the Viper, get yourself a new mouse. <laughs> apparently apparently but no this is good I, I like a little bit of uh change you know in the top that, that's very very good um and i guess speaking of that change you know doubt um is a player that's been around i heard one of the probably one of the the longest players in the scene but i haven't seen him win any recent tournaments that i can remember as far as i know he only has one contemporary um that, that might be showing my lack of understanding the only person i know is um a guy called l clan chris who came back to the scene recently. Uh, he's not up to competitive level, but back in the day, he was kind of the the match for Doubt, the guy that Doubt would face up against. Um, but we're going back, you know, 20 years towards the creation of the game. So mm. Doubt, probably the guy who's been around the longest. He has a reputation, a stereotype for being a slow player. He doesn't have the reaction speeds that Leary has. Mm-hmm. But he brings an absolute wealth of understanding of the game and I would say understanding the game in a different way to everyone else. He was definitely playing non-meta strategies and 
he made them work and he kind of proved the value of some pretty unique and unorthodox styles of play. Do you want to give an example maybe of some of these yeah. styles? I think the main thing was his use of cavalry archers, mm-hmm. units that also behave like cavalry archers. Now, the meme or the the group thing, especially on places like Reddit, has been that cavalry archers are terrible. They're and they're not very good. Um, now, he made. If you look at, for example, the final, he made cavalry archers in the majority of games and. Uh. And <laughs> so like the first game or the, the first game was on Arabia that he lost against Leary. Um, that was just kind of superior micro there. Uh, you talk with Britons on the second one, he plays Indians against Aztecs. Now, in my mind, this matchup really favors the Aztecs. The benefit of Indians on Sacred Springs is they have shorefish. Indians get a shorefishing bonus. So you get faster food in and he played Indian cavalry archers. He played Indian cavalry archers into eagles and scorpions. Now, eagles are an incredibly high pierce armor unit. It shouldn't work. But the way that Doubt plays, which is a very kind of macro-orientated approach, very big economy, create these groups of raiding units, you know, your, your cavalry archers, or similar units, cavalry archers. So in the next game, he played Berbers. We get camel archers, so he played those. Go around the map, raid, boom behind it, and then as soon as the enemy goes to react to your cavalry archers, just pull them back, put them somewhere else. So it's a style of playing that's very not micro-intensive, but it requires very good game sense. Mm. In a micro-battle, like a group of archers versus a group of archers, that will lose to Leary, because Leary's micro is just faster and better. But So just don't take the direct fights. Get your ball of cavalry archers, split them into little groups, raid, do damage here, pull them back, combine them all together, and over time, gradually, as the game goes longer and longer, your group of cavalry archers get more and more powerful to the point where you can then win the game. I really like this strategy for two reasons. One, I think the fact that you're using that kind of the speed uh, of, of the cavalry, right, compared to regular archer sieves. Uh, I think another thing that I really like is it's kind of like if you can perfect a strategy that works with multiple civilizations, and you can kind of use it in a lot of ways. You can be really, really, really good at that one strategy um, and reiterate using different civilizations on it, right? Um, so I think the fact you could kind of stick to that. And I mean, some of these games were just long eked out wins as well, right? Like you watch some of those games and you're like, I'm quite unsure who's going to win and then someone won, right? That, that, that's how I felt the finals uh, went uh, a lot of the time, at least for me, at least at least the couple of games that I caught. Um, so the short games, Leary won. He just, he just, mm. especially with this game mode, Empire Wars, because you start in Feudal Age, it's kind of a race to do everything at once, get your army out, do your eco, wall up. So it's very, very fast and action packed, and that everyone thought it would favor Leary. But Doubt has shown that as the game goes on, his style proves superior. So that as the game draws out, and if he can get the game past, you know, the first 10, 20 minutes, it becomes increasingly likely that Doubt and his play style will win that's really frightening like that's good to have in your back pocket the as long as this game is longer than this long we'll win you know <laughs> I, I think every player i think there's a lot of players that think they would always win kind of in the late game but to be the one who it's like no if you if you wait too long i'll just i'll just win you know i'll just outmacker you absolutely so, uh, so the other the other style of units he used, i think the the meme kind of came to its <laughs> bonus in um game six which was on a map called cattails which is kind of like mediterranean and it has a kind of a middle pond um that leary ended up winning on water he was playing koreans against saracens and he actually ended up making a few cavalry archers as koreans even um which is very unorthodox and then eventually he managed to get to war wagons which is again is a cavalry archer type unit like it gets the same upgrades that cavalry archers get so he made a few cavalry archers is going to be teching those upgrades anyway, and then follows up with the war wagons. And then on game seven, on a map called Acclivity, he played Mayans. Now, he actually did a very unorthodox strategy again, which was just fast castle, and then make a castle, and then make plumes. 
And what are plumes kind of like? Well, they're, they're like they're a faster archer, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, stick to what you know, I guess. Absolutely, and stick to, stick to what seems to be the best strategy in the game. Um, so we actually followed up to to kind of celebrate doubt, and I know he came out on he came on Twitch, and um, I think there were some tears and stuff. Um, but we actually played a team game amongst me and some uh, friends on the uh, GB Great Britain server. Um, it was on a map called Mountain Pass, which is kind of a nomad map. And the rules were you're only allowed to make cavalry archers or cavalry <laughs> archer-like units, um, which was a lot of fun. Because I, f- I feel like with cavalry archer, like the one thing that you think about is like, okay, they're probably not going to be knocking down buildings anytime quickly, right? But if no, you... unless you unless you are Saracens. Mm. The Saracens obviously get the bonus arch damage against buildings. Uh, and it also applies to cavalry archers. But apart from that civilization, no, you will not be knocking down buildings. But you're you're just going to kind of harass them to death. That's kind of the... Oh, yeah, that's a, absolutely it. You're going to have, multi- with Doubt style, you're going to have multiple control groups. You're going to have cavalry archers on three of your control groups. And you're going to send them to a wood line. And then as soon as you get an attack notification, your enemy's responded, you just pull them back using their mobility. They can't chase them. And then you're just doing the same constantly with three control groups of cavalry archers. All the meanwhile, you're booming, building your economy behind. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's the kind of style that I'd really hate to play against because you're just you're putting out fires essentially everywhere. Like that, that is, And th- this is the kind of the point in the game as well that I feel the more and more I play Age of Empires, is just like sometimes you're like, okay, just stall this attacking army and attack somewhere else. Like that, That's sometimes the go-to when you know you can't win the straight-up fight. Oh, yeah, you just counter-attack, yeah. Um, so there you have it. Definitely go check out uh, the Grand Finals. Um, I'm actually looking at the, the YouTube for it. The, the whole Grand Finals is over 50,000 views uh, on YouTube right now, so that's pretty cool. It's slightly unfortunate. Uh, I think they uploaded it all in one giant yeah they should like, do parts VOD. yes <laughs> they could break it down into games i think people will get to see the one that they want to see and they'd get more views out of it the one good thing about a, a large giant part is that it doesn't spoil the uh the ending like if if you have um if you have like the end of the game let's just say it's a 30 minute just one game then you already know when a game's about to kind of start to go one way. Although I guess I guess in Age of Empires is a lot closer sometimes. But the one thing I do like is, for instance, if I'm looking at this three hour and twenty minute vod, it the last like twenty or thirty minutes you don't know if that's still gameplay or if the game's actually done. So it doesn't kind of spoil how long the series is. That's a or good it might. point. That's a I, good I guess point. It, it might spoil it less, is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, than if you had shorter vods, but no. The, uh, yeah, I think it's great that we have so many tournaments. I think another thing I want to mention about the Red Bull, uh, whoa, 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 is they had a little like highlight section where they're playing against StarCraft players. I don't know if you... I did. I really enjoyed watching that, actually. I liked the bit when they were playing Age of Empires because I can understand it better. Mm. I was trying to watch the StarCraft one. I couldn't really connect with it because I don't know what the units are. I don't know what the resources I... are. It's a lot less relatable for me. I... I'm not going to lie. I watched the StarCraft one. And StarCraft is not designed for 2v2. That's what I want to say right away. So when I was watching, oh, I watched both. I watched the Age of Empires and the StarCraft one. But StarCraft specifically, I'm like, if someone's new to this game, there is far too much information hitting them right now. <laughs> like, that's what I felt looking at it. Because all of them, like, I think if you watch a one-on-one match and you let it build naturally, you kind of see the progression, right? There there may not be ages, but there's definitely upgrades and, and certain texts that, that, that go through time. When you're watching it from like a 2v2 perspective, everybody just kind of, there's just like a million units. There's more units than I think the game. It was enough for me to be like, okay, this is kind of cool, but I didn't enjoy it as much is what I'm saying. So even as someone who, who likes StarCraft 2, I think showing a one-on-one match might have been better, uh, perhaps. Oh, it might have uh, been cool to have the Viper play against Hera and then have the two mm, StarCraft pros coaching them and telling them ooh, what like to that. do. Yeah, I like that a lot, actually um another thing i want to also mention is uh i because i think viper played starcraft before so viper at least was somewhat familiar with, with some of it was it. similar for the the other way around I, I forget the names of the two starcraft pros one was Feral. A fin- 
Serral's yeah. a Finnish guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was an Italian player whose name I, I don't remember. So uh, they're saying, I think Serral admitted to having had played four games beforehand. Yeah, he looked and... a lot more like he knows what he was doing, whereas the Italian player was pretty clueless. Clearly playing the first game of his life. <laughs> I think he you started trying to wall and he just put down three individual <laughs> palisades and then just kind of gave up. No, that's far too many to click. I don't know if he didn't know he could drag it, you know. So, he did. Uh... I'm sure he didn't. I, th- I think he thought he was just going to click it and then maybe click again. Uh, but instead, it yeah, you have to drag them. Um, no, that that was pretty funny. No, Cyril, I mean, listen, I think if there's ever someone who, who could cross over, I think Cyril's one of those guys. Um, because, I mean, when he plays StarCraft, he like averages 500 APM. Like he almost averages double every other player when it comes to the amount of stuff that he's doing on the map at once. Um, and I think especially late game, like if you got him in a late game situation and he was used to the units, that's someone where it comes to uh, management of... Um, of a million things going on, he'd be really good at. Um, no, there, there's. Uh, I think. I think there's crossover. Uh, I think if I, I would definitely say anyone. Like it took me a little bit to get into Age of Empires. Uh, and I think I think it works the other way as well. Like I think someone would have to play a couple games themselves, uh, then watch a couple tournaments, and then get used to it. Um, but. I think it, there is a crossover. There's some crossover potential. So I really did like that they had this uh, part of the event, the event uh, where they crossed the two games. Um, it's something I'd like to see more of, um, especially, I suppose, within the RTS genres. I think that's it. I've mentioned before this crossover with kind of MOBA games mm-hmm. like League of Legends um, and Dota as well. To see the crossover there, I also feel like Age of Empires as a game can look to those games because they're much bigger, they're much more commercially successful, continuously being developed. Um, so in some respects, they're ahead. I, I fundamentally think Age of Empires 2 is the best game. Uh, I think it is the one to play, um, but it could definitely do with some modern touches. Um, and hopefully, if we could ever get tournaments on those kind of scales or getting near those kind of scales, I think that'd be a fantastic development for the game. Um, so more yeah, crossover, can... please. Mm-hmm. Kind of speaking to that, like the peak viewers for this tournament was forty four thousand. Uh, that's what I'm getting here from from Liquipedia. So that's really cool. Um, I think I think if Age of Empires was at a fifty k regular, that would be a really good sign. Like that'd be very very good sign for the esports part of things. I would like to also mention something, and this might just be um, from a casual perspective, perhaps, right? But I think for people who don't play Age of Empires, zooming in a little bit would be nice. Uh, just because sometimes it just feels like you're looking at a... You know, the base... We're, we're all playing like super zoomed out. But I think from a watching perspective, it'd be nice to... When, like, especially if you're trying to get casual people, people who've never played the game before. I think being slightly more zoomed in so they can see the battles and they can just focus on that instead of seeing uh, 20 buildings on the screen at once. There's something that was something that came up, obviously, on the, and I think it got better as the tournament went on. There were a lot of complaints at the start. Uh, they used an, an observer, which is something that they've not done before. It's something else that other games do. Is that in addition to the two commentators, mm-hmm. there's also an, a dedicated observer whose job it is to move around the map. Um, I think they had to do that because of the way the studio set up. I think it's set up in Germany, and um, they want. Oh, to I play. like an observer, but I I think that. The difference is, at least, at least when it comes to StarCraft, is some of these people that do observing, they've been doing it for 10 years, right? Yeah. Like, they've kind of went through the beginning of the game and kind of figured out how, how, how it's best to to show it, right? As opposed to, oh, we're just going to get a pro player or someone who, like, casts regularly to observe. It's like, well, when they're casting, they're just kind of talking and they're clicking, right? But if you want to solely focus on the cinematography, how, how it looks, uh, that's going to take a while, I think, before we have observers that are at that level, per se. And it's something else that I've done recently as well is to zoom in. And the reason is I have a 1440p monitor. Mm. And if you have the default, it's actually quite zoomed out in DE. Now, most people play on a 1080 and the default there's what people think's kind of a good level to be zoomed in. Um, so I've recently zoomed in more. Now, the benefit, the, the disadvantage is you see less. The benefit is you've got better control and you're less likely to make misclicks. Especially because a lot of the uh, the unit models are really small in 
<laughs> AOE. Exactly. Um, someone talked about this as well, where uh, there was a push from Blizzard to make all, like with, with uh, Warcraft and with Starcraft, to kind of make their characters more bulky. Um, and the whole point of this was just to make it a slightly easier to click, right? But with AOE, some of the, like clicking a, vill- a villager individually, um, especially the more zoomed out you are, the harder it may be. Absolutely, yeah. So I think it, it is beneficial for you to play fairly zoomed in. Casting, I think you want to mm. be slightly far out, but as you said, probably not that far out um, that you start to lose, you know, and not everyone's watching on big monitors with 1080p or whatever um so i think there is benefit to you know being that touch closer being able to see the models especially on my phone right like if i'm watching on my computer it's not that bad on my phone if everything's zoomed out then i'm looking at (laughs) i'm looking at insects you know (laughs) little ants like there's definitely uh i think i think more information on the screen is not necessarily a good thing for enjoyment of watching I think you can overload people with the amount of information on your screen. So I just, I guess to keep that in mind, uh, as, as I look at this, like Red Bull one, right. They have a pretty clean setup, right. But as someone who has never played before were to look at this, it's a lot of data. Look how much data is on the screen. It's a right lot now. of data <laughs> and it takes a while to get used to reading it. Now it's useful. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think for the more hardcore viewer, but if you're trying to attract the more casual fan and the more casual group of people all of that info is uh just overloading really i think if they had the resources and the supply that and maybe the score that that and remember i'm talking just strictly from a casual perspective strictly from somebody who's either played the game before and is watching for the first time or hasn't ever played the game I think it'd be good to have as little information as possible and have the commentators fill in those gaps when it comes to those details. Uh, I think that would be for the best from a viewer perspective. Although, once again, you know, all of us who are playing it who are enjoying it, um, I think we don't, you know, that's nitpicking. But I think for for introducing new players... Overall, it's a very, you know, slick, well-executed tournament, great entertainment value. Uh, You know, these are just things going forward to think about, really for sure uh yeah so keep i guess keep that in mind uh as we go um so yeah i'm very happy with it uh let me just double check that there isn't any uh big tournaments coming up hidden cup coming up hidden cup hidden cup's the big one yeah hidden cup four so that's the one where you don't know, right? They're going to be... Yeah, they get given names, which is uh, there's some entertainment <laughs> value there. I think T90 picks out the names. Doubt made a big thing uh, about making sure oh. he got an invite to that when he won. It is not until... Or I guess the qualifier might be a little earlier. Okay, the qualifier is in 15 days. but So I guess we'll have time to talk about it. It's still a little ways away. I was just seeing if there's any any anything happening really... Really new uh i don't see anything right now but um yeah we'll keep you informed we'll try to we'll try to keep updates as those tournaments run along usually though it's it's nice like if you follow viper if you follow a uh t90 you should you should be able to to turn 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 on the uh the stream on the weekends and kind of see if it's tournament time or if it's uh streaming time for them and usually there'll be a good indication of whether there's a tournament happening or not um on top of that I'd also like to take this time to kind of talk about the new expansion. So you, you ready to get into it? Yes. Let's get on. Let's get on. So uh, while I'm here as well, I think I think you had mentioned, I'll probably play some of the campaign, uh, put that in the YouTube. Um, so so we'll, hopefully that goes well. We'll see. People will get to see how good or bad I am. Um, I'm, I'm curious though to see how much effort they put into the actual campaign because I think it, with this game in particular, there's definitely the focus of ranked play or of team play, which is good. Um, so we'll see if it's just a by the numbers campaign, as I like to put it, or uh, or a little you know more thought has been into it. Um, so far, I'd say it's pretty fun. I play. I haven't got all the way through it. I played some. Uh, there's three kind of segments to it. You, there's the first that starts out in Britain uh, mm-hmm. with a guy called Longshanks, and then there's a the second stage, which is the Burgundian bit. And then there's a third stage, which is the Sicilian. So there's a good oh, amount so of content for your for your money there. 
there it is there it is and i'm, I'm sure for for people who like playing campaigns they, they won't mind it um regular releases like this so yeah i'll i guess i'll get back to you on how that goes next next time we have the podcast whether it's next week or in two weeks we shall see um but yeah we're gonna try to be more regular uh but let's talk about the gameplay because uh every every streamer and their uh the grandma were trying to uh trying to get in on the uh new new expansion gameplay uh what are your thoughts on the civilizations yeah um i suppose let's start out with the burgundians and yeah. i actually played these this so i pre pre-bought the um the expansion i played it as soon as it released which was about 11 o'clock on a tuesday night uh we created a big kind of group game uh with the guys on the gb discord and then we just everyone picked burgundians or they picked um the sicilians or they picked one of the sieves that had been updated so that's something as well in addition to the new two new sieves, there's a load of balance changes as well. Mm. Um, so I started out, uh, we'll say we'll start out with the Burgundians. I kind of predicted before in the previous podcast <laughs> that they'd be overpowered. And that was based on one of the bonuses they declared, which was that okay. knights would get half their gold back when they died. And that right. actually didn't end up in the game. Oh. So that was scrubbed from the game before it even got released, probably from all of the <laughs> outrage. Um, That's they, good. <laughs> they still have very strong knight line, uh, in particular because they get cavalier in Castle Age. Mm. And that's something I've been, I've been queuing, I've been playing them a lot. Uh, it seems to me very strong. As soon as you hit Castle Age, if you can have three stables, one stable researches the cavalier upgrade, then you start making knights out of two of them. It's a very, very strong Cavalier push all in. Uh, I've had kind of great success with that so far, just playing that on the ranked queue. So you're the guy I have to watch out for, is what you're saying. <laughs> I, I will say one other thing that I don't notice, I haven't noticed, at least for my ranked games currently, is anyone using the new the new, um, the new new civilizations. Maybe so they haven't bought them. Maybe that's why. I think so. I think, I think at the... Uh... At the MMR I'm currently at, they they might have not been as uh, ready to get them, but that I guess I guess so be it. Um, so yeah, you I I feel like I I saw some comments, and I think this is probably a fair assessment: is that they are strong, but they don't feel like they're completely broken. As uh, some broken. aspect of the Burgundians, I would <laughs> say, are broken. In particular, the unique unit. Okay. Um, now I have to excuse my pronunciation. I call it a Castillier. And it's like a, for those that don't know, it's a cavalry unit um, and it has a charge attack. So it's a bit like a monk. It has a meter under its health bar that Mm. charges up to full. Uh, When it comes out the castle, it is full. And on its first hit, it deals plus its base attack and then an extra 44 damage. Now, this has turned out to be enough to one shot a lot of units. (laughs) <laughs> uh so it will one shot kill villagers it will uh one shot kill monks is, is there is there an aoe effect on this or is it just one no it's only against one okay. unit. at least at the very least <laughs> that'd be the true super unit if it was area of effect as well a giant lance appears above their head and hits everybody in front of them anyway keep going so for me that that is the aspect of the burgundians which is broken it does need a nerf uh, it might just be enough to cut down the damage, but at the moment it's very annoying to play because you can have a group of them. You can engage. They're quite quick as well. Run away from everything and then let your meter recharge, then turn and do it again. <laughs> and there's also a bug in the game as well that it does even more damage than it should against archer units for some reason. So it will it will one-shot kill an arbalest. Is there is there like something about armor that could potentially explain it or not really? I don't have an explanation for you. I just know it's broken. Well, there you have it. Use it while you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take it before it gets patched. <laughs> Get your money's worth. That's what you're paying for. Your free wins with the uh, Castilliers. But overall, no, it's a very interesting sieve. I think the other interesting aspect about them is that the economic upgrades are one age earlier, mm-hmm. and that's a bit of a hindrance as much as it is a Ooh. benefit. Have you- you take a longer time to get to the next age. Exactly. Like, how much are you prepared 
to delay getting to the next stage in order to have a bigger economy when you get there. Yeah, that's another thing that I've noticed about this game is that you should you should almost there are certain upgrades you just cut out and just just uh, just get to the next stage as quickly as possible a lot of the times. So. Oh, absolutely, especially yeah, absolutely. Um, you should not be researching every technology you can. You need to prioritize, and some technologies wait until you're already in imperial age, and even then you don't bother. A classic example of that is stone shaft mining. I think a lot of people, even top pros, never research it. And is it just because of the fact, like, I guess, and this is another thing that I have actually noticed, is that stone is, like, great if you want to build castles really quickly. But there's a certain point where I feel gold is so much more useful. I don't know. No, absolutely. Gold's the key resource because it makes unit and army. Uh, Obviously, stone is good. But I think it's mainly the resource, the investment into it not paying off. Because by the time that you could research stone shaft mining... We don't want to delay your imperial time for that. You want to be in imperial age. And by that time, you probably mined the majority of your stone anyway. So to spend that extra resource in order to mine what's already left a bit quicker, it's, I think, very hard to justify. I think some people do get it. Um, but it's one of those ones that even top pros, they won't. They routinely just don't get it. Um, so it's about prioritizing uh, when you get your resources. For me, the safe thing to do with the Burgundians is to research the technologies you would research on the next stage as soon as you click up. So a classic example is if you're going scouts, uh, you research Bitax and you research horse collar as soon as you click the feudal age upgrade or as soon as you've got the food to do it because you are going to research that immediately once you hit the feudal age anyway. So that's a safe way to play. The more greedy thing to do is to research them in the previous age anyway so um a good example of that is bosor if you can get bosor in feudal age and get away with it your economy will be a lot better than your opponents and this is specifically for the uh the The burgundians yeah burgundians yes yes okay other civs have to wait until the next stage so that's it's just an interesting aspect to the civ um i think we can't talk about the burgundians without talking about their unique texts um, so the f- first one is the Burgundian vineyards, which turns all their food into gold. And then farmers slowly generate gold from their farming. <laughs> that feels broken. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And I think a lot of people predicted it would be broken. I think once people saw how slowly they generate gold. Mm. So actually people have done the experiments. I think you need about 80 vils on food and it's maybe equivalent to one or two relics. Oh, that is really slow. So it's That's a nice like... bonus to have. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's broken on the face of it. Because it'll, if the game goes super long, then I think this will just mean the Burgundians are the only ones able to keep getting gold in the game at some point. At a relatively okay rate. Yeah, I think if the game goes late, Burgundians are strong. Having said that, they also have some things against them when it goes to kind of the late um, Imperial Age. One of which is, so they get a very early Paladin, which is, you know, great. You got a Paladin as soon as you hit Imperial Age because you research Cavalier and Castle Age. However, they lack Bloodlines, which is a very, Mm. very important Cavalry upgrade. And it's part of the balance of the Civ. So essentially the idea is like they may have be able to make some of these gold units, but they're not going to be as good. Uh, yeah, there is there is some balance there. Overall, I'd still say they are a strong late game sieve. Um, more interesting than the Burgundian vineyards is their imperial unique tech, which is a Flemish revolution, which converts all your vills into militia, uh, which is very entertaining to see on stream. I've seen NBL use it a lot. Um, I think the jury's out on how good it is. You need a big stockpile of food to be able to create all your vills back as soon as your uh, militia start dying. But I think against cavalry civs, it's a reasonably effective. It's very useless against archer civs because they just die to archers. But against cavalry civs, they behave a lot like pikemen. Um, so it's just an interesting aspect to the civ, something we've not seen before. Um, and I say, as you, as, as you said... It's a Hail Mary. That's what, that's what it kind of feels like. Like, you're just... You're going for broke. You're like... I'm either, 
I feel like anyone who uses it is accepting that the game is going to end pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes and no. It it can be the all-in that breaks a stalemate. That's true. If you're in a stalemate and you've got all the time in the world, you can build up your food reserves, use it, get start the ball rolling, start the push, create all the vills back behind it. So get your TCs. You need lots of TCs, six lots TCs. TCs. Q vills in them all the way, you know, Q15 vills in each of them. Use the tech, go all in, and then for every militia that dies, a vill pops out your TC. And then that st- gets the ball rolling to break the stalemate, is another way I can see it being used. And it, you're also right. It could be that you're, you're, it could also be if you're losing and you need to do something radical. That's another way to use it. It's like, well, it's better than all the villagers dying. If you're exactly. Yeah, if you're being raided to death by Hussar, you can use that tech, turn them all into pikemen, and then go on the offensive. There you go. Amazing. Uh, they do have a plus 12 versus cavalry. There you go. Just, just looking at them right now. Um, all right, I think that's good for uh, for your, your feeling for it. Maybe perhaps in a future episode, you can maybe say what, what's like... A, since these are the new civs, maybe maybe talk about um, what kind of build you're going for, or like like a typical build you might go for. I was them. hoping to get round the Sicilians. Maybe that should wait for another. Oh no no! no. I'm saying podcast. we're we're gonna keep the. I I would like you to in a future podcast talk about specific builds for Burgundians, and I'd like yeah. to get to Sicilians now because I want the first reactions now that we actually see it in play. So, what do you feel about the Sicilians? Disappointing. Hmm. <laughs> the first thing I did once I got the Sicilians was I tried to Don John rush. Um, for those that don't know, Don John is their version of a tower. They don't actually get towers. Okay. So it's like a big tower. It takes a two by two square. Uh, it's quite a very you know impressive looking architecture. Um, the difference between that and a normal tower is it also makes their unique unit, which is the sergeant, and you get it in feudal age. So I tried to tower rush with them, but except using dungeons instead of towers, and it's terrible. <laughs> it's honestly a more expensive version of the regular tower. So it takes 200 stone instead of the regular 125. So, so it's not useful in any circumstance? I think the only use for it is in Imperial Age. Hmm. Now, the benefit is you can use the military units, the sergeants, to build it. And then it makes oh. more sergeants. So it's like a, it's it's like a, it kind of clones itself. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> and this combines well with their. They have a tech called First Crusade, which is their Castle Age unique tech. If you research that, it's for each town center you have makes ten sergeants. So immediately you have an army of fifty units if you have five town centers. You send them forward to raid and hit their economy. And then as you're killing their economy, you build towers, these donjons, in their economy. Then in those, you queue more sergeants, and it just becomes the raid that's impossible. It's like a, it's the raid that's impossible to get out. It's like cockroaches, you know. That's what <laughs> I see the value. Using them in feudal age, they just feel like a worse tower, and it's a worse tower rush. Because with a normal trush, as they call it, you garrison your vills inside the tower so the tower shoots more arrows. If you garrison the sergeants inside the donjon, it doesn't shoot more arrows. You have to garrison either vills or archers. So it just feels really clunky where the unit that you have that to build it can't then make it shoot more arrows. So for me, fundamentally, it doesn't work in feudal age or even for castle age. I think it's for the imperial age when you after you research your unique tech, the first crusade. Um, is there any big kind of things about the town centers building faster? Does that that is big? No, it, it's shocking. It was it's shocking for me how quick they go up. Just because I have an I have an instinctual timing for castles and for town centers, how long they should take, and then every time I look back there, I'm like, oh, so already finished. <laughs> and that for me is shocking. So it's very very strong. I'd say Sicilians are very strong on nomad maps. So where you start without a town center, you just start with your villages because your town center is going to be up. Oh, yeah. Anyone I think you might be right. I think that might be a go-to pick for Nomad Maps because the fact you can start building villagers, at, like, uh, what's it called? 
I guess half a building time faster. Exactly. Yeah. Like imagine that. Like essentially, you go and you just build the town so right away. Get all three of your villagers or whatever building that, and and you get your villagers going real quick. No, you're gonna have a big advantage. I feel uh, if you can use it properly. And I think the other advantage, the other situation that I see Sicilians is really strong, is as the landing sieve on water maps. So things like Team mm-hmm. Island. And Vipe has actually just put a video out on his YouTube channel, which is uh, what we call like a, a masterpiece, um, just because of how he did it. Um, so he actually kind of lost water on that map. And then he also got landed. So the enemy landed him. He just made five TCs. TCs. He researched his unique tech, used a castle, built a dock to get back on water, made the transport ships. Sicilian transport ships are special because they have plus yeah. five carry capacity and they have armor, extra yeah. armor. Yeah. And then he took his 50 uh, sergeants that came out as TCs, put them on transport ships, moved them across the enemy island. They start raiding everything, building these towers, these donjons everywhere. Um, and so it was used, he used the sieve to every bonus they had to its full potential. Very entertaining game. I recommend people go check it out. Um, yeah, but I mean, see, that's the thing. It's like, you, you look at Viper, like, oh, this is what the best person in the world can do with this, right? It's like the best person in the world playing the Civ for the first time. It's That's what's uh, crazy about it. Yeah. But I guess, uh, yeah, I guess these will be kind of uh, later um, looked at. I think one big thing that kind of I kind of think about with new Civs being brought in is now we're... we're kind of, you know how uh, MOBAs will, like, release characters? Like every so often, right? Absolutely, yep. I think AOE two has devised a way that a- that RTS can finally do that. <laughs> They've gotten to the point where it's like it doesn't really make a difference if they're thirty seven or a hundred civs. Like there are so many. That... I, I'm keen for more. I mean, I come from playing uh, Dota two, and they have over a hundred heroes in that yeah, game. Yeah. And I think adding well, more. Civ... Sorry, I think that's my point, though. It's like. Once you're at th- when you're at three and four, it's like okay, maybe we want to just stick to this, keep it keep it focused, right? But past a certain point, like when you've passed thirty sieves, it really doesn't make a difference if you make another ninety, you know. <laughs> and I think it adds to the game, and it, for me, it rewards people who've been playing it for longer because it builds a bigger knowledge base. You have to understand how all the other sieves interact with each other, and so for me, and- as someone who's kind of loyal to the game, sticks with it, I feel rewarded uh, the more sieves that they add. And I think it does reward people who want to be more creative, right? Like if we if we get to a point where we have fifty sieves, it's people who try out some sieve that isn't used as much and find some way of playing a certain style that that really works, right? Yeah, and especially if you think in kind of team games, you could find interactions between different sieves on the same team, the team bonuses stacking, etc. That oh, yes. no one's thought of before, you know. So that it just for me adds more possibilities to the game. Now. They do need to be balanced, obviously. Um, that's something we all need. We and these sieves, uh, especially the Burgundians, are that is at the moment an OP. That is an overpowered sieve for now. I am expecting a nerf at some point. You let people get their money's worth for now. And <laughs> bring them back down in line with the other sieves, and then I think everyone's happy. Yeah, I would. Uh, I think. I but I think the nice thing about balancing is is there is a rule of. The more sieves you add, the the more the balancing can be a little. It gets messy, harder. Right? It's harder. It to gets do harder. It. It's it gets harder, but at the same time, it's like okay, if there's a couple S tier sieves that you can kind of like, you know what I mean? Like it's no longer like okay, there's just one sieve that's overly dominant, right? Because I think it's almost easier to to balance it if there's one sieve that's overly dominant because you can just slowly take chip away at that one. Um, what when there's only three sieves having one sieve that's like overly dominant is a lot more of a problem than when there's 37 right so if even if only the top 10 percent of sieves are the ones you want to play if there's enough sieves you still have plenty of choice at least you have some choice exactly exactly so uh, i guess there's something to that right uh yeah so there you have it there there's the new thing I, i think a lot of people are playing on those um I'll report back on the campaigns as I start to play them. Uh, so, so I'll let you know how I feel about them. Um, 37 civs currently. I think I think they can definitely keep doing expansions like these, putting one or two civs in, and then they can just focus on those new civs. It'll keep the game fresh as well. Um, I 
I like. I think uh, AOE overall is kind of a good place. Um, I don't know how much time you want to keep going, but if you want to get into a little bit of the patch updates, I think we can. For a I think bit it's here. a good idea. It, it has changed the game in uh, some fairly fundamental ways. All right, nothing, let's do it. Let's, 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 even fast. if it's yeah, if it's uh, we won't go too long, but if let's let's get into some of the major patch changes. So where are those? Okay. For me, one of the main ones, reduce the hit points of Palisade walls and gates by 40% in the Dark Age and the Dark Age only. So this is a nerf to what we call Drush FC, Dark Age Rush with Militia and Fast Castle. Really only nerfs that, but that is a quite a dominant and strong strategy. So it's going to be more Feudal Age play that you're going to see now. And so wait, it's just the Palisade wall? Yeah, it's reduced the HP by 40% and it's so Palisade that... gates. How does that make it? Because in my sorry, I, this this is completely from my ignorance. So so yeah. forgive me here as I say this, but I feel like having more health on the wall would help you prevent these rushes. But is there? Oh no, no, it has it, it's reduced the hit point hit points by forty percent. That's what I'm saying. In my mind, reducing it would mean they would get in of the palisade wall, right? They'd oh right, yeah. Wall. So sorry. I need to explain more. Yeah. So the Dark Age, what you do, start again. You send with the, you create your militia, which is usually three militia, and you send them forward to your opponent. While you're doing that, you wall yourself up. Oh, uh, okay. So the okay, militia go and they harass the opponent. They buy you time. You're fully walled. You then create no feudal military. You click up to Castle Age. Maybe your opponent arrives to your base at this point, but you're fully walled behind your palisade. So it doesn't matter. And then you get you get up to Castle Now, by reducing the hit points of the Palisades by 40% in Dark Age, it means it's a lot harder for those walls to keep your enemy out while you're with the typical Drush FC build. Point being, if you're now going to be able to fight back during Feudal a little more, like you're, you're able to actually harass back after their, their initial... Yeah, so you're in Feudal Age, they're in Dark Age, and you're more likely to be able to get in after their militia have already hurt you. Nice. I think the other big one that's come and is the change to the cavalry archer. So it's reduced reduce the uh, attack animation from 1.3 seconds to 1.15. Now we already wait. Is this after the tournament or before after the tournament? The tournament. Okay, doubt is here to stay. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> exactly. So this is what doubt proved the value of the cavalry archer in without the, the up, without the faster. And uh, now they're better. Up. And now they're better. So I, I've seen them a lot. People are playing them a lot now. Uh, cavalry archers are back, boys. Well, because, I mean, the, the one basic skill that all RTS have is the the stutter step, right? The the move, move backwards, shoot, and keep moving backwards while you're shooting, right? Uh, it's like a... I mean, I was going to make an analogy, but I feel like literally anyone can think of someone on a horse shooting arrows and then, and then backing up as the person charges them and keep shooting. Um... But yeah, now now doubt's just gonna be able to do that all that faster, <laughs> and all the doubt wannabes as well. All the doubt wannabes. Well, Myself I'm less worried about doubt wannabes, <laughs> maybe because of my rank. But at my rank, I'm gonna be honest. I very rarely do I. I will lose games because of macro decisions as opposed to micro decisions. <laughs> That's the reality of, of of where I'm at currently with the game. Um, that's a good point. But, Maybe these balance changes matter a lot more um, the higher you get, and that for the majority of the player base, these maybe these changes aren't that significant. Um, but for me, they feel big. Oh, I think I think as you go up in rank, the more significant any change is. I think that's the reality. That's just all changes, no matter how small. The, they they are amplified the the higher the skill level. Um, any other big ones that you you want to talk about? I think there's been a nerf to Arambai, which is good. I think everyone found that Arambai were a real pain. Just their ability to shred buildings, their play on arena. Uh, they could just get through stone walls. Um, so their damage against buildings has effectively been reduced. So I think that's a really kind of positive change for the game. Um, other big ones, mines again. I think the mines have lost their unique technology, which was Obsidian Arrows, which let their archers shred buildings so the devs seem to be going in a particular way with these balance changes where they're trying to reduce the damage archers do to buildings 
which is something I can get behind. It doesn't really, I mean, does it, does it make much sense to you, Robert, that archers can shred through buildings? I think if they are wooden buildings and there's a fire on their arrows, then they're allowed to shred. I think as soon as the buildings have any stone in them, I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> that's what the obsidian, arrows, the obsidian arrow tech gave them bonus damage against stone walls. Well, here's my point. Like, I feel like from a, and this is completely unrelated to balance, all right? But from like a realistic perspective, I feel like most units should have the ability to take a torch and throw it onto wooden buildings. Um, and then it stops working Castle Age because everything's made out of stone. Right, it kind so, of makes sense. I mean, that's kind of what the arson tech is about that you get in the barracks for your militia line. It kind of it's like an image of a torch, and that's what gives your infantry bonus damage against buildings. So, is that what AOE three does? I'm pretty sure AOE three does that. I think like... I haven't played the game much, but that does ring a bell. Yeah, that does yeah. ring a bell. Um, but yeah, no, I I don't think arrows should be able to take down buildings. <laughs> uh, no, the game's unless... moving in a, the game's moving in the right direction. I, it's see this is a tough thing it's because i like using archers um i think if you can't destroy buildings though it's honestly weird though because i've started thinking of the game very differently in the last little bit maybe i'll go on this rant here um rant is probably more than it, it'll actually be but um i used to think like it was like build your castle and you just win right um, but I have less and less of an inclination to build a castle unless I absolutely have to, uh, because I find if I overfocus on castles, then it becomes whoever hits Trebs first that wins. Uh, and I've noticed if I'm just like, no, I'll just build stuff that destroys castles. Like if I can get to, uh, um, what's it called? Bombard cannons fast enough. <laughs> I mean, this is probably dumb, but I just, I got so. No, no, this is a hundred percent. I'm enjoying seeing your development in your thinking here. Uh, yeah, yeah. that, so, that so is I'm, the right line of thinking i'm like I, I used to be like who's first to castle and i'm like i'm so tired of these like castle races so i'm just going to kind of take over the rest of the map survive long enough to build up an army uh and 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 hopefully i mean and some of these players remember I, i've just i've only been playing lithuanians um and i've been keeping to that just because i find that if I only play like what, what twice or three times a week, I think it's better if I just. Have, have you been playing Lithuanian since the uh, the bug oh, was yes. introduced? Everything. Wait, wait, there's a bug. Oh, oh no. Do I not know about this bug? Oh what no. Bug? So for the breakdown, those that are not in the know, uh, there was a bug introduced in the last patch. It has oh, now been hot fixed. Um, okay. The bug was Lithuanians when they garrison the relic, which you can used to be able to garrison a maximum of four. And each yeah. one would give your knights or your knight line plus one damage. There was no limit to it, and it didn't get removed when the relics got ungarrisoned. Oh, so you'd still get gold? No, no. So you'd, you'd take one relic, you'd put it in your monastery, and that gives your knight plus one damage. You'd ungarrison the relic, take your monk, pick up the relic, put it back in. Now you've got plus two damage. Oh, that's been fixed. And then repeat the damage and repeat that oh, process. Add I'm sure I had a. Okay, I'm sure I've had a, probably a week worth of games then that I won fairly. But uh, so for a while, for a couple of days, uh, Lithuanians were the most Lithuanian pickers were the most despicable uh, players. In I will say I though, I my my monastery never got destroyed, so I usually just threw it in and never took it out. To be fair, <laughs> yeah, that's what we'll tell people. <laughs> I didn't know about this. I don't know about this. I'm gonna be honest. So I promise, officer, I had no clue. I had no idea. Um, but that's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, but but no, I, I've I've kind of developed to the point where it's like I don't like the castle races. Um, I think even for some part of me that especially some of these players let me really boom. I mean, boom. I I when I get to three TCs, that's no own it. Yeah, that's a boom. Three <laughs> TCs a one v one is a boom. Um, but uh. I've been noticing that I would just like let buildings die, build up an army. I've gotten a lot better as well as kind of timing my um, when I need to build a million production buildings. <laughs> I feel like I've gotten better. Um, I've just it's it's like before I used to think okay I just need to have to constantly pumping out like units, and now it's like no I'm just gonna build ten stables. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and then mass when I need to. <laughs> I love what I'm hearing here. This must have been uh, 
following on from my coaching. Perhaps, perhaps. Hearing, uh, all the, hearing all the right things now. Yeah, but uh, I think part of me as well, it's like, well, you know, uh, going back to StarCraft for a minute, right? In StarCraft, the constant production is something that is like needed to survive just because of how dangerous the game is, right? Like I think things, things destroy stuff a lot faster in that game, right? But in this particular game, you actually have a lot more time than you think you do. So you can actually just let stuff get destroyed sometimes and then and then win a battle. So uh so yeah, I, that's what I'm learning about this game. I'm getting a sense of of kind of the timing. And and honestly, like I've thought about going like if I get two TCs, I think that's like a standard game. I'll win most of them now. It doesn't feel like I I'm, I quite need the third TC yet. And what I mean by that is I don't think anyone's booming faster than I am. Absolutely. Usually, yep. Three TCs in a one v one is very greedy. I might even encourage players to stick on the one TC, one TC all in, and then take those resources you saved and put them into army and do damage instead. Interesting. Because I'm starting to feel now that like I essentially go two TC and just survive long enough. Like that's my only role, uh, especially oh, if I can. Start Lithuanians, it's good. Yeah, get your relics, get your upgrades, make your knights, <laughs> make your skirms i've got it so annoying with the two i'll just like make like three or four priests <laughs> they're just they're doing james bond missions all over the map trying not to be discovered <laughs> that is uh that is a new gameplay um another big thing i've noticed though is like if you don't get at least three relics then <laughs> a lot of the time you're kind of it's like your, your civ bonus isn't really uh, all there like it, you'll you're still fine but it doesn't feel like as much of a winning push in the end as it did before i guess oh yeah i mean i would say if you're getting to three relics you are getting borderline overpowered i think you i do not want to give three relics to a lithuanian player i can manage okay. with two if I, if I if we keep them on two it's okay it's still a problem it's okay uh, I think if they get to three relics, it's starting to get really, really dangerous. Um... Yeah, I had a, the last game I played, I think I was playing against Franks, and they actually were harassing me, I felt like, with the uh, knights, and they're actually winning a lot of battles. But I survived long enough, and then I got five relics, uh, and then I could right-click castles with my... With my <laughs> uh, what, what is the end game? Uh, oh, the, the lightest? The unique unit? No, 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 no. The knights turn into oh, what are paladin. the oh, the knights then... become cavalier, become paladin. Okay, okay. So yeah, by the by the time I hit paladin with five relics, it was just like <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if you get to paladin in a one v one, then you're doing very well because there's just not enough gold. But I think that has to do as well with the skill level, right? Overall, I feel like unless I'm threatened. I think most of the time my macro will take over later in the game at you know at my 800 MMR that I'm sitting around. So you so see yourself as more of a, a late game player. Well, I just think this game, the people are not efficient enough for early harassment. Like unless you win with early harassment, like if you kill like three villagers, it's not actually that big of a deal at a lower rank because <laughs> people are so bad. Like. Like, people are more likely just... I mean, I, you know I mean what, they'll just leave their TC not running for three bills, so... That's true, actually, though. <laughs> if, if you can get them to hide in their TC for a while, I guess that's that's worth it more than anything. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, those are my musings, I guess, for this week. I'll, tell, I'll, I'll be playing campaigns for the next little bit, so uh, we'll, we'll see if those... the After I play those campaigns, I'll, I'll let you know what my next plan of action is, but uh, I'll take I'll take a little break from the, uh, the rank grind for a bit. Um... That being said, because we've talked about this for an hour now, I want to play a game of rank. So there you have it. Um, all right, everyone. I think we're good for for our weekly. We're gonna to try to keep it fifty minutes to an hour ish. We're gonna to try to do it weekly, but there are no guarantees. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna guarantee you it. That being said, the only guarantee I have, or I guess the only only thing I'd like to say is that we will try to have more. Uh, more regular uploads okay, more so regular and hopefully we can get chris back on the next one yeah yeah that'd be good that'd be that's good to have his uh his musings as well so yeah we're gonna try to try to do weekly um but no promises uh but at the very least there'll be more shows so i hope you enjoy 
uh, and we'll see you next time. So have a good one. Uh, yeah, for myself and Jack.